Welcome to the Odyssey Podcasts. This is Jean Cavellos, Director of Odyssey. Odyssey is an intensive six-week workshop for writers of fantasy, science fiction, and horror whose work is approaching publication quality and for published writers who want to improve their work. Odyssey is held each summer on the campus of St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire. Adult writers from all over the world apply. Only 16 are admitted. Top authors, editors, and agents serve as guest lecturers. For more information, visit www.odysseyworkshop.org. Podcast number 27 is an excerpt from a lecture by Bruce Holland Rogers at Odyssey 2003 on Flash Fiction Structures. This excerpt will be continued in podcast number 28. The text of this recording is copyright 2003 by Bruce Holland Rogers. The sound recording is copyright 2009 by Odyssey Writing Workshops. Usually when I talk about narrative theory, I say that I don't think it's a good idea to think, okay, this is the way that a plot works, so I need this element at this point. With short shorts, sometimes I really do start with a structure and a subject, and I set out to write a story around that subject that uses that structure without having much of a sense of where I'm going. I just rely on the structure for channeling me in a direction where I will get this sense of wholeness, the story will feel of a piece. So, these are the kinds of stories that I think I see a lot in short, short anthologies. The fable or the parable. So the object is to teach. The writer has in mind, at least by the final revision, something that he or she wants to convey to the reader that could be probably paraphrased. Now, it might not be a good paraphrase. As Ursula Gwynn once said, if I could tell it to you without the metaphor, why would I have used the metaphor? Um, but the reader will sense that there is, there is a purpose, there is something that we can try to paraphrase behind that story. Obvious examples are, are Aesop. Then there are instances like Tolstoy's The Three Hermits, that's obviously a, a, a fable, a story that amuses us, but also is designed to make us think along a particular paraphrasable path. You can also sort of ring changes on the idea of parables. Some of Kafka's parables are uh, almost designed to frustrate your expectation of what a parable is going to be. You get to the end of it and you think, well, so what does that mean? Uh, what, what, what can I paraphrase that as? Or there's Robert Fox's story in Sudden Fiction called A Fable that calls attention to itself as a fable, pretends to be a fable, but is really doing some other things. And I think is a story that is mostly using that title to call attention to the fact that it is an artificial construction and things are not going to go in this story as you expect them to. And rather than recount that one to you, I'd rather that you be surprised by it. So I just I commend it to you. Sudden fiction is pretty easy to find in libraries. Expressionism is where you tell a story as if the emotional truth of the situation were literally true. 
So some people would say, well, that's an extended metaphor. You're just you're writing out an extended metaphor of, uh, um, of a uh, situation. But I would say that expressionism is more visceral than intellectual. Metaphors tend to be intellectual constructs. And to me, expressionism is a story that really is, is trying to capture what something feels like in a fantastic mode. And here I do want to read you a couple of examples of, of that, because this is a really useful mode to fantasy writers. This is called Estrange. After the divorce, my wife said she didn't know who or what she wanted to be. When I heard that she had become a toaster, I felt vindicated. <laughs> a toaster. Was that all she could be without me? And she wasn't even good at it. She could only do two slices at a time, and they came out charred on one side and white on the other. Obviously, she was the one with the inadequacies. <laughs> True, I was unemployed myself, but a toaster. I would never fall as low as that. I would take a job as a human being, or I'd stay on the dole. Later, she worked as a hotel washing machine, then as a high-capacity dryer until she was demoted. She became one of those laundry hampers with four wheels and a canvas hopper. Finally, she lost even that job. Soon, however, I felt less and less like gloating. I still couldn't find work at all, no matter how I tried. I next saw her while on my way to an interview for janitorial work at a hospital. She was in the parking lot, backed into a reserved space, and she was stunning. There was no mistaking her, even with all the changes. She had white sidewalls. Her body was lustrous teal everywhere but on the inward curving white panels that streaked back from her front wheels. Her chrome sparkled in the sun. I just stood there in front of her, searching for something to say, until a man came out of the hospital and walked up to her. Beautiful, isn't she? he said, fitting a key into her door. I restored her, he said, built her up a little from her original 283 small block, gave her some juice, dual carter carved. You know cars? Want to see under the hood? His generosity made me uncomfortable. <laughs> no. I hadn't noticed the plates until now. They said, MD. He was a doctor. She's the finest 1960 Corvette on the road, he said, patting her roof affectionately. She was older than that, but damn if she didn't look 1960. <laughs> she used to be mine. What? I said, she used to be mine. I know something over history, he said, trying to keep a smile in place. She was mine. She once belonged to me. All the friendliness went out of his face. I don't think so. He opened the door. Sure, just because you're, she's gleaming now, you don't think she could have ever been attached to someone like me. I said nothing of the sort. He got in and closed the door. He started her. The way her engine hummed, I could tell she was getting only the best of everything. <laughs> he revved her, but he couldn't drive off. I was in the way. He glared. I glared. I looked from his face to the checkered flags of her hood ornament. Those little flags did something to me. This was a side of her I had never imagined. He rolled down the window. Get out of the way, he said. Oh, the sun on her satiny finish, the gleam of her front grille. He raced her engine again, menacingly now, then started to pull forward. He might have run me over, but she stalled out. She still cared, but it was too late for reconciliations. <laughs> he started her again. I felt all the regret that I had concealed with my gloating. Too late. Too late to change anything. 
I stepped out of their way and let them drive off together. I went in for my interview, and I got the job. I am a broom. <laughs> I think actually I'll, I'll leave Spotted Dolphin for now, but I just want you to know that you can also deal with very serious subjects. Uh, Spotted Dolphin is about the, the death of my brother-in-law and how I felt that he, particular ways that he fit into the world and his relationship with his sister. Now, even though expressionism is expressing an emotional truth, notice that there is a story arc to this. There is a very definite beginning, middle, and end to, to this story. Uh, a fairy tale. In a fairy tale, the object is, at least in part, to charm. So you're telling a story of improbable events. You're using elements that we understand are ele fairy tale elements. But part of what I want you to understand about fairy tales is that the poetic tone is important and that there is a certain kind of language that's being used in fairy tales. A beginning that says, in essence, once upon a time. I would suggest that you not use once upon a time because I think it's more novel and, and more intriguing to the reader to encounter a sentence that says, once upon a time, without saying that. And if you look at the beginning of my, my fairy tales, they don't begin once upon a time, they begin with something that signals we are in that fairy world and we're going to use that kind of language. A character sketch, often in a character's voice, and this can be satisfying if, even if a whole lot doesn't happen in the story, but the point of this sketch is that we feel that we completely understand that character's uh, nature, who that person is by the end of that short short. Character having an epiphany, where you just, you have an event, and a character understands something about it, and we understand something, watching that character come to that realization can be all that you need for a short short. And here is a very short one called Avery's Story. This is a scene, but it's recounted in the past by a narrator. And what makes this work is the last line. And everything in it is set up to support that last line. Avery's Story. I still don't know anything about her. I was standing across the street near the intersection waiting for a bus. She carried an armload of boxes wrapped with green paper and decorated with red and silver ribbons, but I don't think I noticed those packages. I'm sure I didn't, not then. I hardly noticed her at first. Maybe a hundred feet from the intersection, she started across the street. The driver must have been trying to beat the yellow. He should have been able to see her in time. I understood what was about to happen a moment before she did. The instant she knew, I saw it in her eyes. Somehow the distance between us contracted. I could see her face so clearly. It couldn't have taken a second. First she recognized her peril and for an instant thought she would spring away, but her legs betrayed her and in the next moment her eyes, they were gray eyes, in the next moment her eyes filled with resignation and she shifted her gaze slightly beyond the car onto me. The tires were squealing in that slow half-second, and her gaze reached me in time to say, please, and I answered, yes, and just before she passed from this loneliness into another, neither of us was alone. The sound, I could hear it beneath the tire squeal, was innocent as a line drive kissing the glove. The Christmas presents bounced off the windshield. I could have gone to the driver while he knelt beside her with his head in his hands. 
But the poor bastard was too complicated. I could never give him what I had given her. Uh, ethnography is where you have an invented culture and you convey something meaningful about what that culture does around a particular event or a particular important stage in life. So it's a story that is really just designed to reveal an invented ritual and an invented culture. And ideally, this ritual is one that addresses human needs in a way so that we really understand that need is being addressed, and it, it addresses that need that we have. And so an example of that is, is my story, Don Isidro. Um, an interesting narrative stance, as with negation, where in the story you are claiming to take back the story. Actually, I, I first saw this used in a poem by Yusef Kumunyaka. It's the last poem in a collection. The poem is called Corrigenda, and it is the poem in which he claims to correct all of the lies that he has told in the previous poems. So he's taking it all back. He's taking back this beautiful image and that beautiful image. In fact, they're not things that have occurred in the earlier poems. They're brand new. And in saying that he's taking them back, he's evoking them for the first time. And it's a, it's a beautiful and powerful poem. And when I read that, I thought, could I use that as a narrative stance in telling a story? This is the last unseen window in the last unseen car. I take it all back. No phone call woke me at 2 in the morning. No stranger's voice told me to be at the train station no later than 3.15 to meet the father I had never known. It isn't true that I fumbled with my shirt buttons dressing in the dark or that my face felt slack with the novocaine of sleep. Did I say I gasped at the shock of January air? Not so. No cab came for me and I didn't shiver in the back seat as streetlights shadows marched through the cab one after another. If the street was particularly dark and particularly still that night, I didn't see it. I wasn't there to see the traffic light flashing yellow or red. If I ever said that I stood on the platform watching the clouds of my breathing rise toward the stars, forgive me. I am not comfortable with lies. Let me be clear about this. No trains came at all. No freight train with cars that said Chelsea or Rio Grande or Pacific or Burlington Northern thundered by. No Amtrak train rolled by without stopping, or if it did, I wasn't there for it, didn't stand under the defective platform light that snapped suddenly off, hummed as it turned blue, burned into orange brilliance, and snapped off again one, two, three, four times before the last car rolled by. If there was a man's shadow, a silhouette, framed in the last window of the last car, I don't know anything about it. I didn't walk all the way home. I didn't tell myself that it was better that, uh, this way, that the man I imagined couldn't disappoint me when I could see no trace of myself in him. No snow crunched beneath my boots. So that's one kind of stance, but others are telling the whole story with questions, telling the whole story with dialogue. Stories that parody some particular familiar short document, so it has to be something that, that readers have encountered before, something like a little column of gardening tips or alumni notes, some other bit of, of nonfiction, but you write a fictional version of it. Now, 
it would just be nonfiction humor if all you do is write a nonfictional version of it that is funny. So for it to be a short short, it has to have that sense of a through line, of some kind of arc to it. Now some kinds of documents and things possess that inherently because they are about something that happens through time. Do you know the book, um, What to Expect for Expectant Mothers? I think it's What to Expect When You're Expecting. And it talks about all the things that happen at this many weeks and this many months and what symptoms you should be expecting. And I relied on that heavily for writing this. Now, this is the kind of story that I expect readers to perhaps have to read a couple of times before they really see what's going on here. So I'm just going to tell you that the timeline extends beyond nine months. <clears throat> what to expect? Experiences in the first month vary. You may feel fatigued, nauseous, bloated. Your breasts may feel tender. You may crave certain foods, but food aversions are just as common. In the second month, you may feel dizzy, irritable. You may experience mood swings. By the third month, your appetite will probably increase. Veins thicken in your abdomen and legs. In the fourth month, any nausea you felt may decrease or increase. Or you may feel nauseous for the first time. Your ankles and feet may swell. Experiences vary. You may have trouble concentrating. By the fifth month, you will likely feel the fetus moving. Leg cramps are not unusual in the sixth or seventh month, and you may have difficulty sleeping. Braxton Hicks contractions begin. You may dream of the baby. You may feel giddy. You may feel like crying. You may cry. In the ninth month, contractions may wake you. In the eleventh month, your sleep will almost certainly be disrupted. You may experience mood swings, nipple soreness, pain. In the thirtieth month, Arguing and tantrums are common. You may feel tired, irritable, irrational. In the 200th month, sleep disruptions often return. You may lie awake waiting for the phone to ring. If you sleep, the phone may wake you. You may imagine that you hear a key in the door. Anxiety is common. You may experience mood swings. You may dream of your baby. Experiences vary. <laughs> Okay, and that illustrates the through line. So there is a continual thing there that makes it, makes it a story. Another one, which I have but won't read, is word problem, which takes the form of a mathematical word problem. This is the end of part one. For part two, listen to podcast number 28. The text of this recording is copyright 2003 by Bruce Holland Rogers. The sound recording is copyright 2009 by Odyssey Writing Workshops.